the number one thing I'm hearing from customers, prospects, and coaching clients is they're not getting enough leads. They need to find more opportunities and places to sell in their business. If you want to learn more about that today and how to do it online, stay tuned in. I'm joined by Raul Alim. He's the founder of Custom Creators. It's a digital marketing agency that connects companies with their dream clients. He's helped some really big brands such as Realtor.com, Geico, and Advertise.com. But he also helps reach local businesses and the thousands and thousands of customers and prospects. If you're doing things in an old school manner and you need to change to avoid obsolescence, this is the episode for you. I'm your host, Tim Kubiak. Thanks for listening to Bowties in Business. As always, you can find us on our socials at Bowties in Business on Facebook and Instagram and Bowties in B-I-Z on Twitter. Me, you can find just about everywhere as Tim Kubiak. So we're going to talk to Raul and we're going to talk about SEO, sales funnel development, some Google AdWords, Facebook advertising, and go all through that. He's been featured in Convince and Convert, California Lawyer Magazine, Search Engine Land, Rank Watch, Duct Tape Marketing, and many more publications. Roll, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for that kind intro- introduction there and having me here. You know, we were kind of chatting before we hit record. And the truth is, this is a selfish one for me because leads are near and dear to my heart. So, but before we dive in, can you talk a little bit more about you and your business and how you got there? Yeah, absolutely. So I used to work at a company called Realtor.com and they were a blessing in disguise to me. I didn't know what they were or what the company even sold when I applied. It was, it was the corporate name was called home store. So I just assumed it was a furniture store on the internet. And uh, so I applied and I got the job. Then I realized what it actually was through the interview process. Um, But that was kind of an important journey for me because um, I was gunning for being the number one salesperson in the whole company. I wasn't given a raise. So it kind of made me think, huh, maybe entrepreneurship is the path for me. So I walked out while I was walking out, had my cell phone in hand, started calling clients and closing deals on my way to the car. And then finally, three, four years later, that raise came from the company I left. They ended up hiring me to be their marketing agency to help them with all of their high ticket, high value real estate agents that they were selling to. So that's kind of my background. And then I've evolved today into becoming like a digital marketing agency for a wide variety of industries from SaaS to tech companies um, to even the local businesses down the street on a grind of a budget to help them get to where they want to go. So let's talk about that because all the time when I'm talking to people and we don't have your background, right? Um, people are saying, I'm spending money on Facebook ads. I'm not getting a return. I'm spending money on Google ads. I'm not getting a return. What's the first mistake people make by trying to do it themselves? Well, I mean, you're not probably an expert in the field and these platforms are meant to deliver an an easy marketing system to do it yourself. But then there's a lot of complexities, just like let's say building software, there's a lot of complexities. And somebody can also say to a software developer, well, I can just go to WordPress, I can just go to Wix, I can just do this. And the software developer is probably thinking like, you don't know what you don't know, right? it's It's a daily thing, it takes a strategy. Um, without a strategy in place, you are, are already set up for failure. Um, that's probably the number one bottleneck that I see for anybody running their own um, advertising accounts is they don't have like a guidance counselor, like almost like a doctor treating a patient. Um, because what they're going to do is they're going to think like, well, this software or this widget can technically everybody can use it. So then they're marketing to everybody. But we all know that's not the case. 
we know that our products and services are not good for everybody. Because if that was the case, Bentley would be selling to everybody. But even though they're a vehicle and everybody needs a car, they have a very pristine sound audience and they know their avatar. So basically, once you know and identify who do you sell to, then your marketing message becomes the next important step on how do you now authentically attract them through ad copy to solve their problems that they're willing to click on your ad over all the competitors out there. Is there, and, and I, I know a little bit of the answer, there's a reward for better clicks, longer stay time, right? So the better your ad, ultimately the lower your cost. Is that a fair yeah. yeah, exactly. Especially on social media, like platforms like Facebook, because if you are able to resonate with the audience, somebody clicks your ad or engages your ad or watches a video, guess what you're doing? You're increasing the stock price of Facebook. You're increasing the stock price of Instagram. And you don't know that because now their watch time, you've got that customer to not get off the platform and stay on it. So they're going to say, okay, huh, you have engagement. We're going to actually give you more reach because people are actually interested in your ads versus somebody else who has an uninteresting ad or offer. Um, and they're just going to get skipped. So they don't look at them as a high value advertiser. Um, they look at it as a retail advertiser. You're almost, when you have a highly engaging marketing plan, you get rewarded with wholesale pricing. So I'm going to ask a really direct question. So you, you can, Give me whatever answer you like. <laughs> so we'll Do it. Put me on the hot seat. Right. That's why I'm here. So everybody in the world, I get 20 calls a day. Hey, I run a digital marketing agency. I can help you. What makes you guys stand out? What makes a good agency versus, you know, frankly, a guy who threw up a WordPress and a shingle? Yeah. Well, the first red flag is why are they calling you if they're so good at digital marketing? So there's the short answer because I don't have to experience that personally as a marketing agency because we have inbound traffic. And that's part of my presentation is how did we even get together? Was it because of a cold email, a cold call, or did you opt in through one of our ads? Are, are you, did we meet on LinkedIn or what marketing channel did you get to me on? So we just kind of flipped the script because we know outbound is high energy. We know that there's everybody cold calling. There's more businesses than ever, especially digital marketers, because there's no barrier to entry. So we know that people are getting hammered with calls. The way we differentiate is you found us. Would you like other customers to find you too? That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about, is email still effective? A hundred percent. Absolutely. It's probably one of the most important assets to, to use when you're giving value to the customer to make their day 1% better. And that means it could be education. It could be tips. It could be stories about successful clients and what they did. And it could be direct sales or downsells in a process. So I think when email is used effectively, yes, it is because it is underused from a lot of people. A lot of people think like, Oh, I can write it. And then that oh, I can write it never happens. Or I, I'm the bottleneck. I need to out if I outsource it or hire a content writer, I'm going to be taking, uh, I'm going to need to spend a lot of time with them. But if we now allocate time and energy as a one-time event to plan content for the next like six months or one year, it's really not that time consuming. It's mostly a profit center because that's why we all work. We're looking for profit centers, right? So email is something that you work so hard to buy that database and it'd be just a complete shame not to use it because if you don't use it, you'll lose it, right? You do. So can you talk about the difference? Because I find myself in this debate increasingly in the last two months, opt-in versus non-opt-in emails. 
So, I mean, a non-opt-in email is essentially a cold email outreach, right? And I don't disagree that that's, uh, I, I agree that people should have that in their repertoire, go buy a list of cold people, go email them and turn those outbound emails back into inbound to your advantage. And you make like with emails, we typically have like a very short message because I see people have all these blocks of text and video links and all this stuff. But I'm like, think about like if you met somebody at Starbucks and you want to ask the girl out in front of you in line, you're not going to give your whole resume of how you can improve their life by dating you, right? You're just going to start with a one-liner. Like, oh, I love pumpkin spice lattes too. I was embarrassed to say that. And you have a chuckle, right? Same thing with your email campaign. The first, If you're cold outreaching, you treat it like the same analogy. You do something really straight to the point and direct. And you say, reply yes, if you'd like to chat further. Reply with no, if you don't want to chat ever again. And it's super simple. Um, so I think cold email is great. If you get people to opt in, they've already said, hello, my name is Rahul. I've opted in. Feel free to use my email how you please. Reach out to me because I asked to be reached out to. That's awesome. So you work a lot with businesses. Do you ever work with high-performance individuals, people that yeah. are yeah. Oh yeah. We, we work with high performance individuals. Not only do we have coaches ourselves that are high performance coaches for our own self to grow. Um, we've hired some of the best out there, um, but we also have an aspect where we also coach too um, for select businesses that are looking to scale up where we have like a private mastermind group that we meet with every single week. So, so if that answered the question, unless you were going in a different direction. No, that, that's actually a direction I was kind of going, because one of the things that I found in my customer set is I do have a number of high earners that essentially are highly leveraged, if not completely commissioned, right? And, and one of the things they're always asking is their company's not doing the marketing. They're not building their client base for them. That's their job. And they're always looking for ways to get there. So that, that's something that if I was a property and casualty broker, to be very specific, and I knew that this was what my target looked like. You could A, help in a coaching aspect, but B, also help build a campaign for? Yeah, absolutely. So like the, we have to first understand like what, what are your leverage points? Like what has made you successful to today? Um, what are some case studies, some background history? I just have to understand you as a client first, because I can't just say, oh, hey, you would be package A because you just like got on my phone call. I have to first have a conversation saying like, can I even help you? So that's how our approach is like, we just don't know if we can help yet until we know the lay of the land. Cause I know everybody's jumping down people's throats like, oh yeah, we can certainly help you. You, do, you need marketing. I got marketing. That's not the case, right? It, we're not good fit for everybody. Um, and, but it's first just understanding who you are, what your success story is, what your, what your dream is, what's your vision in a year, two years down the line? Is it free time, retirement, whatever it may be? And then we have to align the marketing to get you where you, your goals are um, because we need to know the short-term problems, the short-term gains you want, but then also give you the vision of the long-term benefits you'll have by solving problems. Because I see so many businesses so successful so fast, but they never built the foundation of the business. They got a big partnership and it gave them millions of dollars, but then they don't have a CRM or, or a sustainable marketing play, a marketing system in place when that, mar when, when, as Tony Robbins would say, winter is coming and winter just means it's not a season. It's a, it's a point in time where shit hits the fan and winter could be in summer. Like the pandemic is a winter to restaurants and gym owners and nail salons. But for other people, they were prepared for winter. They're saying, 
I'm waiting for a pandemic. I'm waiting for something to happen where I can buy my competitors. I can ramp up my advertising. I can leverage something to make my business better. And a lot of people did that too. Cause I mean, I've seen small local restaurants that were doing a million a year. Now they're on a run rate of 3 million and they tripled their business because they pivoted. They were prepared um, which a lot of people just don't think of. They think, hey, things are good. It'll always remain this way. But we all know that if we've been through a swing in a business or a period in time, that time is coming. We just have to be prepared. So I want to go back to something you said. Not everybody's a fit. That's a hard lesson to teach salespeople and even sales leaders. How did you learn it? Um, we said yes to the wrong customer. And I said, I won't do that again. <laughs> it wasn't good for them and it certainly wasn't good for us. Um, but we're good with communication. So it's just a, it's not like we went separate ways and never talk again. We're all about let's, let's separate, but let's also maintain a relationship. So if we ever became a good fit, the future could hold something or we can at least be close enough where if we ran into each other in a, in a, in a city or a restaurant, we can, we'd be um, we'd also want to have a beer together to say hello. So, I mean, that's kind of how we take things is like, like if I went to a general practitioner, he's not going to say, let me perform surgery on you. He's going to say, let me recommend something. So we've learned the art of saying no, that we're not a good fit, but then we want to be a, a, a people pleaser, quote unquote, um, where we may have a recommendation because we've just done this for so long. So if we go back to, you've got an existing business, you use local restaurants as an example of a pivot, right? You're in a business, maybe your stock pandemic's been good or bad. There's new competition entering. How can a solid digital marketing strategy help people accelerate and break through? I think a digital marketing strategy can just create a customer factory um, for you, no matter what your space is, whether you're a SaaS, whether you're a dentist, whether you're a publicly traded company. I mean, it all, the, the, the method is the same. I kind of like make sports analogies and I kind of look at like our marketing strategy is the triangle offense of the Lakers. Cause I'm from California. Um, and, and they, they had five championships with the triangle offense in place. And now how do we apply a triangle offense into your business? And our opponent in this case is not necessarily an opponent. It's our competitors as one, which is the opponent. But then we also have our customers. How do we put the right triangle and the angles in place to be able to create that leverage point? So some people have like fantastic content and videos, but they have no way to drive people to those videos. Other people have awesome marketing on the front end, but then really bad funnels to kind of funnel them through and warm them up on a nurture to make sales easier for the salespeople. Um, so we kind of like have to understand where is the breakdown in the process. And this isn't a long process to do. It's just kind of saying, okay, what does your marketing look like? What do you, how does it equate to sales? Now we understand, is it a marketing issue or a sales issue? And sometimes it's both. Sometimes sales is so good. They can take really crappy marketing and still convert deals. And they don't know marketing's bad. They think like, oh shit, like we're good. Marketing's great because sales is closing. But, um, and the opposite could be true. Marketing could be fantastic and you can have a low closing ratio. Then maybe it's, maybe it's the sales issue. So we kind of just look at what, what, is the, what is the real bottleneck and stare at that. Because like if our goal as a marketing agency is to increase sales, we just have to look at the picture, document it really quickly and, and enlighten ourselves that, hey, we've identified a pain. We've identified if, we, if unsolved, things can get worse. And like going back to my analogy of a doctor, like if I went in and the doctor said, hey, Rahul, you have a broken ankle. 
you need to go get a cast. You don't have to have surgery, but if you don't get the cast right now, you will have, you'll not be able to walk number one. And if you do, you'll probably make it worse and you'll have an amputation. Now, if I walk out and say, Hey, thanks doc for the recommendation. I think it's sprained. I'm out of here. Like that's what kind of how we have to look at like a professional marketing outfit. We'll look at it from the lens. Like here's what's the picture. Here's what hurts. Here's how we solve it. And if solved, here's our future. If unresolved, then here's also what the future holds too. So I'm going to share a story that I've not shared publicly before. So I love it. I got it out of you. That was my goal here. Yeah, I, I, and don't fall out of a chair. Don't break your ankle. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have to call emergency for you. Yeah. But here's a real story. I, I was the sales leader at a corporation. We had a leading market position of a product we were selling. And we were newer to the territory, meaning North America. Somebody put mid six figures into our branding campaign with the trade association. Okay. So it was people we knew. We identified the targets. We had essentially, you know, 13,000 companies that were potential customers of us. Uh, I sold, by the way, to about 760 on a monthly basis. So that tells you what my growth percentage should have been. Want to guess how many leads I got? You got it. Zero. Yeah. How can you help companies avoid that? Well, I mean, understanding what the impact is, right? Because I have friends that have like very large, very successful credit card processing agencies. So some part of it is like they want to see themselves on the cover of their website or their magazine so then they can like tell their friends and family. So that's one thing, right? But if you're going to have try to have massive impact, then we have to have a strategy. So I'll just give you an exact example. We did a $50,000 sponsorship ourselves. And my partner just like, I didn't run it even by him. I'm like, you know what? Just trust in me. If this doesn't work, I'll just give you 50 grand of my own money to just really just chill out. I'm like, we're not, it's quote unquote, the traditional sponsorship. So think of this as like, like I've just sponsored a local chapter of like the small business association, so to speak. But then the way I renegotiated the sponsorship was simple. I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to indulge with 50 grand of my cash in your bank account right this second. What I want at the end of the year is I want an ROI of three, three, I want to make $300,000 in your group. And if we come short of it, then you have to hop on the phone and, and introduce me to clients to get me to my goal. And after three months, I want to be at this revenue target after six, after nine, after 12 to know that we have a run rate. So I just took the same model, flipped it on its head and had a proven model to get to ROI. And I want, and I I negotiated in the contract, I want endorsement videos, but I want them to be proven. So once I have success with your clients, you hop on a video, you give me an endorsement. So once I have the leader of the alliance endorsing me, now my penetration becomes that much greater, but then I have an asset that I can now own for the rest of my life. And I get to use it however I feel like on an ad, on my landing pages, on my website, on a press release. And now I have a quote unquote influencer that I can now go to other influencers and saying, hey, he did it, why not you? Interesting. I don't hear the term influencer much in the business world, right? You hear it. I will never be an Instagram model, for example, right? <laughs> and nor should I be. But you, when I hear that term as an old guy, I think that kind of market, that kind of media, maybe building a new niche brand because I have a following. What's an influencer look like in a traditional B2B world? 
Well, I think an influencer can be anybody because we we just use the term influencer if we want to use it as an endorsement, right? So like anybody who's in like Michael Jordan endorsed Gatorade and and that hundreds of millions of dollars he possibly made, I don't know what his contract is, but Gatorade made a, they were get, they were influencing the youth. I want to be like Mike. One of the yeah. greatest terms ever that still exists today. So what a brilliant way to leverage an influencer. Right. So, so that, that's really kind of the, the term of today is influencer. If you want to call it an endorsement, that's all it is. All you're doing, like we see like Mr. Wonderful, um, the beautiful Kevin O'Leary here endorsing lots and lots of brands. Um, so that like, he's quote unquote, an influencer in, in, in these worlds today. So all we're doing is taking that content and then it's up to the entrepreneur or the business who, who takes that content and uses that content to just scramble, to let use it as a leverage point, every single advantage. Um, because I mean, sometimes that's the make a break, make or break of a company is like, who's endorsing it. And some companies don't use endorsements. Like when you read my bio, I'm leveraging realtor.com. I'm leveraging advertise.com. I'm leveraging Geico. I'm using my history to influence the future. And I'm telling it all the time. I'm like, hey, if Geico can trust us, you can too. You need to look up some reviews, Google us. I'm right here. Let's do it right now. Let's do it together. See what you find. How good did it feel to sell yourself back at a premium to your former employer? Uh, it like, oh, that, that story is for another, another time. But yeah, I ended up becoming friends with the attorney who was negotiating the deal or putting the paperwork together, not really negotiating the deal. We had a funny conversation about how that negotiation went down because it was really not a negotiation. I'll just kind of briefly tell it, but yeah, they're yeah. basically saying, hey, here's, here, well, like, we're willing to pay you this. And I said, okay. And I'm like, why don't we temporarily accept this? On, on like on the spirit of doing business together. And if I have a, I run into bottlenecks or uh, maybe you do too, is it okay if we have an open conversation, if this pricing will put us at a deficit to be able to fulfill for your clients? So I was just basically pegging it that I'm taking this undercut rate. Um, and then years later, I became, I, through mutual friends, I hung out with the attorney one time. I ran into him um, at a local restaurant and he's like, hey, I got to get this off my chest. Like I don't work there anymore. I'm at a different company and uh Anyways, like we would have probably paid you double. And I'm like, you know, what's great is I would have taken half. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? You don't know what you don't know, but I was happy. It was a great relationship for both of us. But yeah, the feeling of getting a raise by quitting was probably the most like impactful thing because somebody repeated it back to me. They're like, well, forget the fact that you got a raise. How does it feel that you quit on this company and they still came and hired you? Uh, I'm like, well, I didn't think of it that way. That was probably more like like meaningful than than anything not just money yeah that's a marquee name when you're starting out how do you get those other marquee names how do you build a reputation that really draws them in yeah i mean well i mean it comes down to a i think work ethic and desire and clarity i mean that's a lot of words there um work ethic is important so you work hard i mean i'm not gonna lie i did like to work 24 7 i enjoyed it so it wasn't a job it was a it was yeah. a passion a hobby that turned into a lot of money um, so, so that's the drive I had. I don't have that level of energy where I can go like sleepless nights, two, three days in a row. I kind of pace myself. Cause now, um, as I age, I need to be smarter <laughs> with my, with my time. Um, but, but the, the, I mean, the easy part is like when I got hired by this, like this company that a hundred million dollars in the bank in cash, um, I was just one person. I didn't have anybody. 
I like literally that's the story. I mean, that's how like the, the audience probably has a lot of stories just like that, where it's like, Hey, it was me. Like, like an Amazon started shipping in a garage. Uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve jobs started in a garage. I mean, they start with an idea and a passion. Not everybody's going to be that, that turn into the richest man in the world or anything. And that's okay. Um, but you just got to like, a be okay doing what you like. So you don't resent your own work. Um, and then B put together a list of high value targets that you want to go after, which will be longer sales cycles, or if the timing is impeccable and you have a leverage point into those businesses, then you leverage your relationships, whether it's LinkedIn, you can see who works there. I mean, like never have we had access on the public internet where you can literally know the, what the CEO of Sprint ate for dinner last night, if he publishes a picture on Facebook. So you have a common ground. Oh, they like halibut. Okay, cool. Maybe I talk about an adventure where I took a boat and went halibut fishing. So now you have a leverage point to catch the attention of somebody high power versus all the other salespeople or marketers out there doing the same thing. Oh, if they knew they can use my product, they would hire me. No, they don't. They don't give a shit. They want a relationship. They want to be sold too because they're salespeople themselves and they want to make more money by making life easier. And if you can find common ground, you can break the ears and the eyes of that person. And, and it, it's easy. Like I, I mentioned, oh, I didn't mention to you before we went live, but I've had the, the former CEO of Sony Home Entertainment Group sitting in my condo on my couch coming to me to do an interview with me. And it's because I just created a relationship. I met a person sitting next to me at a restaurant and his, my friend who I was with went to the restroom. I looked over, he looked at me and said, hey, how you doing? And then we just started chatting and said, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm sort of in a retirement mode. I used to be this former CEO of Sony Home Entertainment Group for a decade. And before that, MGM Home Entertainment Group. I'm like, huh. I'm like, this guy would be a cool guy to know. So then we started a relationship. And from there, now we're buddies. I run into him at Starbucks. We say hi, chat. And if I ever need, uh, and we're, we're considering working together, um, but he's a busy man. He's writing uh, and doing education for like Harvard and other schools. Um, but that's how you build relationships. Like those high power ones are, are relationship driven. You find leverage points and you go for it. You drink a lot of coffee? I do. I've already had two. You could probably tell, huh? I'm one three, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's talk about, you mentioned CRM. Let's talk about the integration of inbound lead flow and what people do with it after they, after they generate the leads, right? If you do your job right, how do you keep from overwhelming your client with inbound opportunities? So like if I'm, if I'm generating leads for the client and they're not able to keep up, is that the question? Yep, absolutely. We create a workflow. We say that's a good problem. Don't break because if you break, then we're going to have a bigger problem. So once we, what we now created is a waiting list. Now, if you're getting overwhelmed where you're concerned that your service is not going to be thought of as well, then we have to set expectations with the clients. So we close the calendar for the immediate three or four days. So they can only book three to four or five days out. Or if we get them to opt in, so we don't say, oh, well, I want immediate help. We get them to opt in. And then our content says, hey, we'll be, here's our schedule. Here's our availability or whatever the service is. I'm not sure what the service is in this scenario, but if we want to kind of solve a bottleneck without turning off the hand that feeds the mouth, which is traffic, yep. um, then we just set the boundaries of expectations of what's next. We take them through a longer sales journey to be able to connect with us. 
So there's ways to fix it and there's ways to turn it, delay it, and there's ways to accelerate it. So it's all just setting exp expectations through content. Yeah. And the reason I asked the question the way I did is I, I thought about all the trade shows I've been to, all the times I've had my badge scanned or dropped my business card off, and the number of times I've never been contacted. Oh, that's a bad thing. Yeah. So they're basically collecting data and not using it. And they probably spent sponsorship money at the boots and everything and all that fancy tech to, and to scan it. <laughs> yeah. That's not a good thing. Right. You, you figure it's probably a hundred grand, 50 to a hundred grand to show up before you staff it. It's 150, 200 all in by the time you count people count travel costs, you know, there's going to be dinners and everything else to go with it. And you know, there, there's not the follow-up. So do you help on that automated follow-up side too? Yeah. So we put together, depending on the size of the company, because there's different CRMs for different stages of the company growth, right? And sometimes yeah. they're already married to a CRM and to get somebody off of something to a new technology is just not worth the conversation because then you, you have too many corporate struggles. So we just look at what they have. And if they have nothing, because some big companies doing like 20, 30 million bucks, I mean, sometimes they're operating on an Excel sheet or QuickBooks or whatever so, like accounting software they're using. So, and that's okay. I mean, at least they have a way of measurement. So there's no wrong way to do this. There's no embarrassing way to admit it. It's just, it is, it's the lay of the land. We just have to look at it. Um, but yeah, we look at what, like what kind of clientele, what kind of communication is most appropriate and accept acceptable for that client. So if text messages is, is important, great. If Facebook messages are important, awesome. Email is important, awesome voicemail drops are important. Awesome. So we just kind of take a lay of the land. How do we want to communicate to these people? Because at the end of the day, we're communicating on one device, their, their personal computer in their purse in their pocket, which is called a cell phone. It's a camera, it's a computer, it's everything. Um, we spend the most time on that sucker. So we can hit them on the phone. And then we have to understand that not everybody responds to every medium. Some people are Johnny on the spot on email. Some people prefer text message. Actually, everybody prefers text message for the most part today. So that should be technically part of everyone's strategy, even if you're a publicly traded company onto a local liquor store. Um, and then other people are on Facebook Messenger because it's the number one social platform in the world. Why not have that as part of the repertoire? Um, so, and, and some people still listen to voicemails, right? A lot of people are not answering their phone anymore. Right. And I, I'm one of those people cause I get hammered with all these different calls, but then when I get a voicemail, that's over four seconds, I know it's a real person because four seconds is typically, it takes time for an auto bot to like leave their little message. But then I just watch the transcription. Like if I'm on a, on a client call and I got a missed call, I might just glance over and say, like, 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 okay, if it's a long transcription, they said my name, it's, I recognize their name, then I'm like, okay, cool. My brain's telling me I got to hit redial on that. So all these different communications, the beautiful part when you integrate all of them, if it's acceptable for your business, is that now you get, let the client get the way they can communicate back to you. So if somebody says, oh, that sounds annoying, absolutely not until you try it, because now we're giving options to the client and we're understanding how do they want to communicate with us. And if it's text, cool. Our CRM can now say, okay, they text us, let's text them back. Our CRM knows, oh, they emailed us, let's email them back. Oh, they responded on Facebook, let's respond back. So we're using what their best way to make them a connection, a customer. We're having what we call a meaningful conversation that's a two-way conversation on the mode and the medium that they're going to connect with us the best. You talked about text message. That doesn't get brought up a lot. How effective or when did that become effective, I guess, is the first part of my question. And the second part is, does it drive a different type of engagement? 
Well, I mean, just think about this. Like if you, if, if you put yourself in texting with a customer, like you're working on a deal and you had a conversation, they missed their appointment and you want to follow up with them. Like then they say, oh, you know what? So sorry. I was on, I got caught up on a long conference call. My apologies. Can we reschedule? And you can respond back saying like, are you thinking you want to reschedule to right now? Or we can jump on a call this moment while you're free. Or are you thinking tomorrow? So that's how effective it is. Because imagine if you didn't rely on text, you relied on email. They may not read it. They'll be like, oh, whatever. He doesn't know I didn't read it. I'll just delete it. And he's going to follow up anyways. And what if you left a voicemail? Uh, I'm so busy. Let me just delete that because he's probably going to call me back. But when you text him, it's like they just messaged you or they just responded or however, however you find out that information, text messaging is highly important. But then when you can do it at scale, that's how you get responses. Like we're doing, like we have a category where we're still like called real estate rainmaker where we're working with realtors. Our mode of communication is text message. We're not really bugging them. We're not calling them. But when they respond back with positive affirmation that they're remotely interested in what we do, guess what we're doing? We're hitting the dial button. Boom. Dial button, baby. They already know it's us. They just responded. If they don't answer, our sales process is hang up the phone, count to 10, 10 Mississippi, call right back. No answer, text again. Hey, just tried you. I thought you were available. My bad. Looks like you weren't. What time would you like to connect tomorrow? So it's simple. Yeah. So, so I mean, it, it works in every single industry because whether a CEO of a company knows it or not, if their salespeople want to make more commissions, they are probably going to, and they're hungry salespeople, they're probably texting their clients on the weekends. I certainly did when I worked for people. I would text. I was like, you know what? I want to meet my numbers. I want the number to be lit up on that damn board. I'm going to do what I got to do. And I'm going to text. If I don't have, I, we didn't think like technology exists now before it didn't. Now, now we were texting where well, I was texting one-to-one and, and it was acceptable 10 years ago. It's going to, it's only more important now because of uh, they're, they're, everybody's so distracted. They're getting, they're like, people think that it's inbox wars. Like they got to clear their email and get it to zero, but guess what? That fight we're getting in the cage every single day. You're going to have to have that same battle. Um, so we just filter emails. So we don't want to subscribe to things anymore. We want text message. I love it when people text message me to sell because then I can respond faster. I can multitask faster. It's not as intrusive as a phone call because like, I, I don't want to take the call, but they can literally warm me up so close. They can, they can, if a smart person can qualify me just by text. In fact, I just recently did an experiment um, where I, I listed my home online myself, not to sell, to rent. But I'm like, let me give myself the like a, a non-competitive advantage. Let me list it higher than a house down the road per square footage. Um, and make it really like just something really high that I'd be happy to move out if it actually worked. And then I got a bunch of calls, didn't answer a single one on purpose for my experiment. I'm like, I'm only going to do this on text and only going to do it on Zoom. And only one person followed directions. They text me. I qualified them through like credit scores through, can you even afford it? I'm like, my, I even said, my house seems way too small for you. Are you sure that this is the right fit? And then they said, no, no, we need it. We want it. I'm like, cool, qualified. And I said, all right. They're like, well, we can be there this weekend. I said, I have a better plan. What if you were here right now? I'm going to Zoom you. So let's set up a time for Zoom. You don't need to come here. I'm going to walk you through because then you'll realize if it's right for you or not, then you don't have to drive two hours, possibly in the rain. So anyways, we Zoomed. They're like, I love it. We want to see it. I'm like, cool, come see it. They saw it right after they left. Like, we want it. Perfect. And I'm like, and I was just using text message. I was just making it. I was, t I, I rented a home through text message. 
Yeah. So like, I mean, this is, and this is not cheap and it's a two-year lease. So, I mean, you can sell anything, like you can qualify. That's how important that, that was a long way of saying, use technology and use leverage points, no matter what you sell. If it's a high ticket sale, long sales cycle. I mean, this was, is, in my opinion, it was a one person close. Like I didn't even show it to multiple people. I just qualified the one person that I wanted to qualify. Um, and that's what it took. I didn't need 50 people coming in the door. I needed one, the right one. That is the most beautiful thing to the sales guy in me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that was in like, I'm opposite of my dad because my dad was like, go network, go meet people, be around smart people. And I did not take his advice, which I regret for the life of me. Um, I was just like, well, I can reach a hundred people sitting at my desk. Why would I go meet people? So that came out of me. The networking side came out of me later. Um, but, but yeah, I've always been accustomed because the way I learned in the beginning was go call people, go write good emails to lure them in to want to know who you are even. Um, so I was just more of a digital, I've always had like the digital in me in the sense of I can reach so many people on Zoom. I can reach so many people by doing video because for whatever reason, if, if people get my time, that's the most valuable time I have. I cannot get it back. So, and then people don't make buying decisions when they have the most important time. When I'm on the phone with them, I'm like, hey, we're supposed to do business together. You have my one-on-one -on -one attention. But then when they see a video of me, like explaining very similar things. And they see a series of videos and they say, huh, I like what he said. Let me watch another one. Huh? That made sense too. Huh? I didn't even think about that. So now the video aspect where I pre-recorded myself becomes even more valuable than my own time. So that's why when I record things, I like to distribute them. And even if it goes to 10 people for one single video, if we get a client that's well worth the energy and effort of something I was going to say privately anyways. So why don't I just record my private conversations to get people who are prospects to be very interested by the time we got on the call? Because one thing I just do not, like if our marketing is not doing a good job, if the person answering the phone is being interviewed, if it's saying, tell me about your company, hmm, not a good job on marketing because what do you think our website's for? So like then we just did a bad job taking them through the process of allowing themselves to get on a call with us. So we're thinking like, okay, our email automation needs to be better. Our filtering process may need to be better um, of how people can even find our calendar, what they need to do before the calendar, before the call. So it just depends on what it is you sell and how many leads you need. You may, if you, if you don't want to, if you have a very defined audience and you have a, a like cash flow in the bank, make the filtering process a little bit more difficult so you don't frustrate salespeople. And create a longer sales cycle. Um, and if you're if you need leads immediately, open the floodgates and make it more frictionless. Nice. What's a good customer look like for you? So if I'm out here listening, I've got a business. Who should reach out to you? Um, that's I mean our customer avatar. I mean like we're eight, we coach agencies. So if you're a digital marketing agency, we can help you coach. Um, we work with a real estate on one side. We work with attorneys. We've built these little branches underneath the custom creatives brand. Um, so I would say anybody who is in need of got, trying to get more traffic, whether it's through search engine optimization, through Google ads or a Facebook marketing strategy, I'll be happy to chat. Um, but as far as like, can I define my audience? We have those defined audience and the custom creatives brand. We intentionally kept broad, um, just because we get a wide variety of requests from like our competitors to like the realtor.com to the Geico, but then our heart, we're a small agency. We're not this massive skyscraper of a building where our heart is with 
businesses that are in like under 20, under $30 million. I mean, heck, we work with a local restaurant that does a million dollars annual sales. So it's just the desire of the entrepreneur or the business owner or the team of, do they know that they need help and want to get to that next level? Then we're open to a conversation and then we can define down, are we a good fit or do we need to make a recommendation elsewhere? Nice. What didn't I ask you that I should have? <clears throat> um, like what kind of coffee I drink, I guess. <laughs> yeah. How do you take your coffee? <laughs> um, I, yeah. So I'm, I'm a blonde roast, uh, uh, snob, I guess. Like I will only drink blonde roast, like a light roast. That's my, that's my thing. I, I, um, I like to support local coffee shops. Unfortunately, there's not one in my walking distance. Cause that's how I get my, my morning routine is wake up, shower, walk to the Starbucks, drink a coffee there, get a refill, drink it on my way back. And then I get my day started. So that's probably my favorite part of the morning is, is my two blonde rows. <laughs> ah, that's beautiful. <laughs> Milk or sweetener. I do put a little, like a little, a quarter of a sweet and low okay. specifically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a very specific process to my coffee intake. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. It's been a great conversation for me. Um, Creative customs, Website link is in the show notes for everybody. We'll put it up on the screen for those of you watching on YouTube. And thanks again. Yeah. One more thing that if, can I give away a PDF file to the oh, audience? Oh, absolutely. Go for it. Okay, perfect. So if you want to kind of understand like a mind map of what like a sales funnel looks like from a digital aspect, I have one on our, on our website. There's no opt-in, no email required. So you don't even have to get on a list for this one. If you go to the website, it's custom creatives. That's with an S at the end. So customcreatives.com forward slash win, W-I-N. So if you go there, you can grab uh, at the top of the page right now, it says like seven figure funnel map, click that little button. It'll pop up the PDF file. You can save it, print it, share it with your team. There's a link to uh, join a Facebook group. If you want to watch a video on how I explain that exact process, that's, that's my marketing strategy. That's my triangle offense that I use for a lot of my customers. And then once we become, uh, once they sign or hire us, then we actually get into the nooks and crannies and the bushes of the business to make it unique to them. Very nice. That's awesome. Cool. Well, awesome. I enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for having me. It's been a good time. <laughs>